This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You've been glued to the television as our hearts and prayers go out to the Thai soccer players and their coach, their parents, their families, their friends. It is trauma like that that may not only impact them physically, but also emotionally. Glad to see that some of them have gotten out uh, today and, and more will be getting out um, in the coming hours. So um, as I said, thoughts and prayers with them. It would be a, a tragedy of horrific proportion. It has been. It has been tremendously stressful for all of those people. Good evening. I'm Maureen McGrath, and this is the Sunday Night Health Show, a show all about health. It's been said your health is your wealth and leads to a longer, happier life and even better relationships, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, and yes, sexual health. And that's the cue to put the kitties to bed. Grab your glass of wine, your lover perhaps, because on this show, we certainly uncover what lies beneath the covers. So listener discretion is advised. I have a passion for evidence-informed health uh, information for you to guide you so that the light you lead is the best it can be. And my aim is to provide you with up-to-date information so that you know there are options for treatment. But please do, however, consult with your medical doctor for anything that ails you. Tonight we have so many different subjects on the program. I have some great guests coming on as well. We are talking about uh, the one thing men want more than anything else. (laughs) I'll let you know. Stay tuned and you'll find out. Um, Also, I posted this on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and everywhere on social media, and it has gotten a lot of traction. It's any wonder because a lot of the, well, I don't know about the people who responded, but maybe the people who responded on Facebook did, in fact, uh, have been affected by this. And it is micro-cheating. It is the the younger sibling of an emotional affair, which a lot of people say is even more damaging than a physical affair. Also going to be talking about intermittent fasting, and I have a surprising update for you. A lot of people lose weight uh, these days that way. And also, uh, what about the effects of marijuana before your workout? We're going to have to be talking about a lot of these subjects, especially with uh, marijuana becoming legal in this country. I'm also going to be addressing some of the most popular fantasies um, of that type. I, I'm just I'm just giving you some time to either um, put the kitties to bed or maybe redirect them if you're in the car. Um, but those kind of fantasies, according to 4,000 Americans. I didn't actually think Americans had fantasies, but anyway. <laughs> I'm American. Oh, okay. <laughs> that changes things. I'm also going to be talking about sexual harassment in academia and, um, and sexual harassment Uh, in general and how damaging it can be in the workplace and also going to be talking a little bit about um, postnatal mood disorders and one of the hallmark features of that but have you always wanted a baby have you uh, not just been able to have a baby are you approaching 40 and and Things may not have gone the way you planned. Well, Dr. Neve Talon joins me tonight. She is of Olive Fertility. She's a fertility specialist, and she's joining me in the studio tonight to talk about the latest rise in the people who are coming to Olive Fertility to talk about fertility and to have babies. So uh, stay tuned for that. This might surprise you. There's been a tremendously uh, high increase in incidence of a particular type of person heading into the clinic. Um, you know, they their life maybe didn't turn out as they had planned, or maybe they let things slide a, a little bit. 
Um, also going to be talking about, uh, let's see, what else have I got on the list uh, today? Are you a helicopter parent? Um, going to be talking about that. But, but actually, right now, I want to talk about, after I say good evening to Andrew. Hello, Andrew. That's a lot to try and try and parse. Oh, it, it is a lot, <laughs> you know, and uh, I do have a guest that's going to come on and talk about, share her story about um, fertility and how she um, how she approached it, uh, because it's not necessarily always the traditional way, if you will. But fortunately, there are uh, centers like all of fertility. But that micro cheating, I, I think we're going to have to dedicate a lot of time yeah, to that. I've had I've actually never heard of that. I've had so many responses to that. I, I still have emails that I haven't even read. I haven't even opened yet. I, there's been such a huge response on Facebook. People are like, I'm sharing it. I'm calling in. Here's my story. Here's this. Uh, you know, and also, I hope you address this. I hope you address <laughs> invisible writing. I hope you address burner um, apps and, and all those sneaky ways that people uh, can go about and head outside of their relationships. The so. one thing that like, I'm, I'm, my mind is still hanging on is I want to know about those fantasies. Like, like that's like I like I like like I want to know. Andrew, I thought you were going to share yours. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. We'll save that. We'll save that for the after hours segment of the program. Okay, I'll share mine. You share yours. Okay. <laughs> it's 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 reciprocal that way. <laughs> Absolutely, and you know we are bound by confidentiality yes, on this show. So 100%. if you want to give us a call, the number to call one eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. Or you can always email me, and you do, nursetalk at hotmail.com. Head on over to my website. I've edited it a little bit. Of course, I didn't do it. I've had some help with it. Uh, back to the bedroom.ca. Although I did, whenever I edit it, I, I totally mess it up. But <laughs> <laughs> That's how it is with, with websites, the way they're built nowadays. If you do something wrong to one little part of it, the whole thing just collapses oh, like a house of cards. It's ridiculous. And, you know, the errors that I had made, I saw my web guy, Sam Park. He's amazing. A uh, little shout out there. Uh, wherever you are, he can help you. Uh, he helps me virtually, and uh, so I saw that he had corrected some of the other thing, other things that I, you know, had messed up. Um, but I'm all I don't. I just got tired of telling him like I completely like oversized that picture, and you know what I want is my picture smaller, <laughs> and I keep making it bigger. <laughs> Anyway, it happens. Um, yeah, it sure does happen. But uh, so, yeah, so give us a call if you are, want to talk about anything, want to share your story, your fertility story, or you share your story about micro cheating, the, the, the younger sibling of uh, emotional cheating, which is very dangerous. Uh, but right now, I want to talk to you about your doctor. Do you have a doctor, Andrew? Do you have a uh, same one you've been seeing? I, I I do have a doctor. Thankfully, I'm one of the like I feel like I'm becoming part of a, a bigger and bigger minority that actually has a family doctor. Well, you know, I mean, to be honest with you, and, and we're not going to address this tonight, but I will at some point about uh, about a family doctor. A lot of people who don't have a family doctor have actually never searched for a family doctor. <laughs> They've never looked for one. <laughs> that's a little bit that's missing from all of those surveys and those research studies. But yes, I've got a family doctor. That's He's wonderful. That's great. That's fantastic because seeing the same. GP is really a matter of life and death. I read about that. Did study. you see this? Yes. Yeah, I think that's really important. You know, seeing the same family doctor year after year reduces your chance of dying prematurely. And this, according to a recent study that was published in the BMJ Open, and the study comes the month after a survey across the national health system in the UK. Um, 
you know what? It doesn't matter. They looked at so many different types of healthcare systems, so it actually doesn't matter. This was a systematic review to compare death rates and continuity of care. And so what Exeter Medical School did was analyze the results of 22 different studies carried out in nine countries with, as I said, different health systems. So it doesn't really matter if you're in the U.S., which has most, for the most part, private insurance, um, private health care, sorry, if you're in Canada where we have socialized insurance. Um, you know, so they looked at all of the different ones. And so of those, 18, 82% found that repeated contact with the same doctor over time meant significantly fewer deaths over the study periods compared with those that did not have continuity of care. Continuity of care is incredibly important, whether you are in an acute care hospital, so in terms of the nurse that looks after you or the nursing team that may look after you or the medical team uh, look after you. So it's well known that continuity of care has its benefits. And, and patients have long known that it matters which doctor they see and because it matters how you can communicate with your doctor. And so we have a little bit of a risk uh, in, in some of the provinces here in Canada because there are medical clinics. And I'm guilty of this myself. I, I'll say to people, they'll say, my doctor won't give me a referral to, um, you know, uh, a, for, for example, a doctor who is a menopause specialist, for example, or an OBGYN or, or a gynecologist to, to talk about their perimenopausal or menopausal symptoms. And I will, and they won't treat them either. And and so sometimes I'll say, maybe maybe not with that, I'll, I'll suggest that they go back and speak to their GP again with a little bit more information, perhaps that they hadn't shared. But, you know, sometimes I'll say, you can go off to a clinic and, and get a referral. Um, you know, and so that's not necessarily the best way, but I think also GPs need to be open and need to listen um, to their patients that, you know, they don't always uh, know what's exactly right. I, of course, do. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, but but we there, there are choices. People actually can go to different doctors. But continuity of care happens when a patient and a doctor see each other repeatedly and they get to know each other. And that's what is important here because you have better communication. You're, you as a patient are more satisfied and you may actually adhere to the medical advice. And there, it, this equates to lower use or decreased emergency room visits and, and use of hospital services. But, you know, we have medical technology entering, um, you know, at, at breakneck speed and there's new treatments that dominate the medical news. And we're really losing that human aspect. Or we ha- we're at risk of losing that human aspect of medical practice. And, you know, really this study underscores the fact that this should be prioritized because it is life-saving. So seeing the same doctor over and over again, I suppose it matters if you like that doctor or not. That always makes it better. And if you don't have the chemistry with your doctor, just like in a relationship, if you don't have the chemistry, get out. (laughs) Find somebody else. Um, You know, and if you have your own GP, you're going to have to put up with things like waiting uh, to see uh, you might wait longer for an appointment. Of course, you can go into a clinic and, you know, and just wait a few hours maybe. Um, but, you know, it, it is important to see that same doctor. And so now we have a study that actually demonstrates this, underscores this. I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Thank you so much for being here with me this evening. I really appreciate your time. Uh, I really appreciate all your emails and all of your interaction on Facebook and all of those social media channels. We're going to be talking about micro-cheating later on in the program, so do stay with me. Sexual fantasies a bit later as well. Andrew, sorry, we're going to talk about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, um, which I, I think I failed to mention at the beginning of the program. But but uh, I want to talk about this because a lot of people 
don't realize that ADHD, although it's much considered a childhood uh, disorder, it often can carry on into adulthood. And it's really a a disorder of executive function limitations. And so um, organization can be a problem. Impulsivity can be a problem. Restlessness can be a problem. Fidgetiness and and inability to complete projects. So there are a number of different uh, symptoms. And cognitive behavioral therapy, which is basically uh, reframing, it's reframing negative thoughts. It's reframing how the mind works, um, basically. So CBT, Cognitive behavioral therapy group training was shown to achieve the same results as neurofeedback training in treating attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Both methods led to a comparable decrease in the symptoms of attention deficit disorder. However, CBT proved to be generally more efficient. And this study was completed by Dr. Michael Schoenenberg and his team at the Department of Clinical Psychology and Psychotherapy at the University of Tübingen. The the statement is based on the results of a comparative study of different types of therapy carried out with adult test subjects. And, And also this has been published in the Lancet Psychiatry as well. ADHD is is actually a mental illness that begins in childhood or young adulthood. In 60% of the cases, it continues into adulthood and can lead to difficulties in private life and in professional life. And so if you, you know, we all get disorganized here and there. We're all scattered every now and again, you know, but it's when you are like a bag of Skittles open on both ends, (laughs) you might think ADHD. Um, But people who have this uh, illness, this mental illness... Uh, talk about symptoms like impulsivity. They have a very low stress tolerance, so they may anger very quickly. They have this inner restlessness and compulsion. And they also have difficulty in planning, execution, organization, and the inability to concentrate on a single task for a longer period of time and follow it through to completion. We all know those people that, you know, can't seem to get anything done. They can't really seem to uh, finish the project at work or they can't really um, finish making the dinner. They might be all over the place. They might be doing 12 things. There's multitasking and then there's attention deficit disorder. And multitasking doesn't serve uh, people well either. And, and medication seems to be kind of the number one uh, treatment for this, especially in school. And you see kids that have issues with this in school, but the medications have significant side effects um, because they can actually bring out anger in, in kids, especially, and, and also, um, you know, there's a significant number of side effects for people who take medications for attention deficit disorder or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. There's also ADD, attention deficit disorder, which they are the slower type of, of person. They report increased rates of anxiety, of an inner restlessness, an inner worry, an inner concern. And and they take forever uh, to do anything. Um, so they're much slower and you wouldn't realize that they're having difficulty processing or difficulty focusing or difficulty executing uh, their homework or whatever. Um, but neurofeedback, a lot of people, you know, try neurofeedback. Actually, a very good friend of mine uh, asked me what my thoughts were on neurofeedback for her partner, husband, and he'd had some issues. And I just 
don't think that the science is there. In fact, the science isn't there. And so, but there's a lot of people who pay a lot of money for spec scans and that kind of thing. And, and you know, there's a placebo effect for everything. But the neurofeedback is where patients learn to control their brain activity patterns selectively. And, and in this way, you know, hope to achieve an alleviation of their symptoms. Um, you know, there have been, you know, there's minimal evidence to support that there can be a reduction in symptoms, but it's really debatable if the, um, if the outcomes are related to the specific neurofeedback training. And you know what, there's, it's not regulated. People do whatever they want, and they seem to be charging exorbitant amounts of money. Um, but there definitely could be a placebo effect. But in this particular study... They compared neurofeedback training with sham neurofeedback, which is placebo training in which the participants did not have their own brave waves fed back to them, and then a CBT group program in which, amongst other things, there were specific strategies for planning actions, improved time management, and stress mitigation techniques like mindfulness um, were practiced during this time. It was a 15-week period. There were 120 adults with ADHD symptoms. They, 30 of them received the neurofeedback sessions, 15, the sham neurofeedback, and followed by 15 neurofeedback sessions, and another group received over 12 CBT group therapy sessions. I think if you're, you have insight, if you're mindful of anything, uh, you know, it's very important um, that, you know, that in and of itself can be therapeutic for you. So know thyself is, is very important. And, you know, there's no shame in this. There's no shame in um, being scattered or, um, I, I do apologize for my an- analogy about bag of Skittles open on both ends. Um, but you know what? It's, it's fairly descriptive. Um, so they, but nonetheless, the researchers uh, looked at the measurement periods ranging from the, before the start of the intervention to six months after, and they found that the CBT group therapy led to a significant reduction in symptoms. So it's something that I would uh, recommend. You know what? It's something we can all get busy. We can all get scattered. It's something that I could recommend um, for people just in general, if you're feeling overwhelmed, you know, bring it back. Um, you know, he- sign up for some of those cognitive behavioral therapy. We, we can all use help in terms of, you know, settling our minds down and, and focusing and organizing and planning and, you know, writing things down. But you know what? Therapy is a gift you give to yourself. I'm more McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Thank you so much for being here with me. We're going to be talking about a very sensitive subject right now. One in six couples has difficulty with fertility with when they go to try and have a baby. But it's not always couples that seek the services of Dr. Neve Talon, at, who is the co-director at the Olive Fertility Center, and she joins me here in studio. Good evening, Dr. Talon. Good evening. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So uh, there has been an upsurge in a particular type of client, shall we say, that is presenting at the Olive Fertility Center uh, dealing with fertility issues. Can you tell me a little bit about that That's surge? Right. So in 2013, we saw approximately 170 women on their own looking to learn more about their own fertility. Um, and last year, we saw over 600. So it just you know echoes to what's happening now, which is that women are really empowered uh, to know more and be educated more about their own fertility. Uh, and they're looking to build their families on their own often. And they look at what kind of information we can give them. And they deem whether they want to do that on their own 
maybe with using anonymous donor sperm to try and conceive right away. Or maybe they're looking at just setting aside some of their younger eggs today in the hopes that if they meet a partner down the road, that maybe they'll need these younger eggs because they will be older and have a lower likelihood of achieving a pregnancy easily, you know, at a later advanced stage. And, and at what age are women coming in to, say, freeze their eggs? If uh, And I imagine it's because they haven't met the right person. It varies dramatically. You know, if we are very dogmatic about it, we'll say the best person to freeze their eggs is someone under the age of 38 because, you know, it's hard over 38 to get a reasonable number of eggs to give you a reasonable odds of uh, attaining a live birth in the future. You know, all of this is where we sit with that individual and we do testing of her, what we call ovarian reserve, and we look at what quantity of eggs she has left. Her age deems the quality of those eggs. And in there, we're able to give them an estimate of what the likelihood of conception would be if they did a cycle of egg freezing and set some eggs aside. Again, there is never a guarantee with that. There wouldn't be a guarantee today if you sat in front of me and you said, like, I want to achieve a pregnancy with one round of treatment. Well, unfortunately, you know, you're dealing with limited numbers of eggs from a given treatment cycle and the quality of those eggs varies. So you never know. What we do know is the more treatment cycles that women do or couples do, the closer they get to success. So it's all about having a greater quantity and the best quality you can. So if you look at this window of fertility that we talk about and, you know, we say your fertility declines rapidly over 38. Well, if you come in under 38, hopefully you can set aside, you know, the better quality eggs. But we do freeze eggs for older women once they're well informed and they understand the risks of that for them. Right. And um, and so is it better for a woman to come in at, at age 30, for example? I mean, is this the gift that mothers should give to their 30-year-old daughters? You know, I would say we see more women um, at a younger age um, and we tell them not to freeze their eggs often because um, it's those women who have a good fertility and look the average for what they should look like at their age that we say, you know what, you often still have some time. But there is no question the the younger the egg that is frozen does better in the long run. But the flip side is whether or not you'll need to use them. Like, does every 20-year-old girl need to free, freeze their eggs? No, she may well meet a partner in her early 30s and have absolutely no trouble with conception at still that reasonable age. But the average age we see of women freezing their eggs is 34. And that, again, echoes to they're not quite ready yet for whatever reason. Maybe it's not having the correct partner or just not the right circumstances in their life yet. And is that related to the conventional wisdom that is best to conceive um, before age 35 or sort of that that biological clock ticks away at 35? Well, I mean, it's ticking from our late 20s. You know, everything is declining um, from that point. But we still see great success for women doing treatment under the age of 35. Now, on the flip side of that, the average age of a woman coming in and saying, you know what, I'm not going to wait anymore. I just want to get this going and get pregnant on my own. I'm going to do donor inseminations where they purchase donor sperm and we place that inside the uterus at the right time. Well, the average age of that woman is 38. Again, signaling to she's at the time in her life where she wants to actually start her family. Right. And, And she realizes she may not have the best quality eggs after the age of 38. Do you ever turn anyone away that... 
do I, women come in far too late? I, I do remember a woman um, talking about her fertility issues, and, and she was 43, and she'd actually never sought treatment for, right. for this. So I would just say we don't turn people away in that like I think everybody deserves counseling around their own fertility. They need to understand why maybe we would not encourage them to spend a lot of money on aggressive treatment. Um, if someone feels that they really need to, you know, if they understand and have appropriate counseling, that's okay for them to attempt preg- um, treatment. But over the age of 45, we do consider treatment using a woman's own eggs, you know, not really a great idea. The, the likelihood of a live birth is very, very small at that point in time. But there are other alternative options at that point. We talk about, you know, looking at donor eggs from younger women. And that is much more frequently done now for women over the age of 45. But just to, to say, women in their 40s do conceive. It's not like they yes, don't. They do. And it's this is about trying to find the women that are, at, you know, in their younger years looking like they ha- they're at the tail end already of where they are for their reproductive life. And so sometimes we can identify that with testing. We can never say that someone will not ever conceive and we are not able to say that someone will surely conceive in the future either. It is really trying to give them the greatest, you know, a probability of where they stand and to allow them then to make the best decisions for where they are in the life. Okay. Well, like many middle class educated professional women, Natasha, who joins us on the line, was unable to find a mate that she wanted to have a child with. Hello, Natasha. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? Good. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. Yeah. So, so tell me about your 30s. What, what were you uh, up to in your 30s? Um, well, basically, like so many of my friends, I was, um, yes, building my career, but also actively looking for a partner to build a family. And that's always been something I wanted and um, and strive for. And I just wasn't having any luck. And I was trying really hard. <laughs> and then um, what was the gift you gave to yourself on your 40th birthday? Well, I actually decided to have a baby on my own. And um, I made that decision, sort of, I began that journey when I was 37, when I decided to freeze my eggs. And so I made sure at that moment that I would have that option. And at 40, it was, it was time. So I was ready to start my own family. And I, I got some good advice. That, and, and that person said, you can be your own family. You don't have to wait for Mr. Right. And that's exactly what I did. So I had um, an embryo and a donor sperm. And a gentleman that I picked, um, you know, sort of like online shopping and uh, my best friend and my brother and my, I'm sorry, my mother also agreed he was the right guy. And then um, I was able to um, conceive this September. And ironically, I did have a boyfriend at the time who knew what I was doing. And he ended up being the father of the child, and and the baby was born May 29th. So it's like an amazing story. (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) I don't want that to be the moral of the story, which is make your own family, and then the guy comes. But but this is what happens. Oftentimes, though, uh, you know, when people are trying to conceive and they, you know, are stressed and they decide to give up and they decide to adopt a baby, then all of a sudden they become pregnant. I'm going to ask you to hang on the line. We're going to go to break because I do want to talk about shopping for the donor. Yes, I realize yeah. that you uh, found a real live one, but uh, <laughs> but I want to know what it was that you looked for in that sperm. Yeah. I'm Maureen McGrath, and you're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. 
Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath here. My guest is Dr. Neve Talon. She's co-director at Olive Fertility Center in Vancouver, British Columbia. We are talking about the pain and heartache and the process of when fertility causes you issues in life. And Natalie is on the line, and she is sharing her story. She was um, got to the age of 40 after having saved her eggs and decided that she was going to go this parenting thing on her own. And uh, uh, Natalie, thanks for staying on the line. No problem. Dr. Talens, thank you for staying here. I'd like to talk to both of you about this kind of shopping. I always talk to people about, you know, they'll say uh, if they want to meet somebody, and you said you were you were pining away in your 30s for Mr. Right. And yeah. um, and so people will say, you know, I have a list. I have a, I have a type. And I say, well, you know, ditch the type, you know, because it's actually about chemistry. It's it's mm-hmm. not really, you know, you may say I'm a, I am attracted to tall, brunette, you know, um, moderate, you know, moderate weight, you know, stocky, whatever. Um, but you might meet somebody who's, you know, short and, you know, blonde and bald and whatever anyway <laughs> um, and fall in love uh, so when you're searching for um, your you're searching for your donor your sperm donor essentially um, what what was it that you were looking for well you said pining away I was actually doing more than pining because everyone's always giving you advice and I was actively following it so everyone was always saying like you need to get out there you need to, you know, go on online dating and you need to take uh, every auntie's recommendation for someone else's, you know, son that you should go on a date with, that sort of thing. So I was really um, well-versed in um, giving everyone a chance and um, going, yes, chemistry or, you know, oh, he meets all my criteria and all that. So I spent t- about 10 years doing absolutely all the right things and, um, and still not meeting Mr. Right. And so when it came time to meeting my donor, I basically decided I was going to go with someone I was attracted to, so what he looked like. So that's easy. You know, I saw pictures. It's sort of like, you know, shopping for something. Like, I like that dress or I like those shoes. That's easy. And then um, there's actually a lot of information provided when you look for a donor, uh, probably more than uh, an actual person that you're meeting online or at a bar or something. So you, you get a ton of information. And what really got me about the donor that I ended up choosing was not only his stunning looks, and he was also young and very fit and all of those sort of health criteria, but I really loved his essay, and it was so moving and made me cry and um, it just touched my heart, and, and it was just so earnest. And so that, that met all my criteria right there. Plus, it helped that he um, had a father who was a lawyer, just like I did, and that kind of pushed me over the edge a little. And then I was also looking for someone of the same ethnic background and someone that kind of looked like me so that my child would definitely look like my people. Okay. <laughs> what, what I, I'd love to hear um, a little bit more about what he said in that letter, um, because I'm sure a lot of guys out there are like, what is it? What do I have to say? How, what does Ernest yeah. look like? Uh, oh, was there one he, line that, that, um, re, that you remember that he, he just really wanted to help? Okay. Uh, he, he, and, and so that's what really touched me. But also, uh, he just seemed like a really nice person. And also, these are special people that are donating their sperm. They don't get paid very much. I think it's very nominal. It's quite a lot of work. And so I felt like, yeah, his his essay was just so kind. Like, he really wanted to help someone conceive. Or, or I, I'm assuming this guy helped many conceive because he was so gorgeous. 
And, um, and are they most popular? Do they vote most popular at the clinic? He's, you know what? He's not what I would have chosen. <laughs> but anyway, that's a different story. Doctor Talon, what um, what are some of the what some of the information that um, patients can get or clients can get? What is some of the information that is shared about these sperm donors? So, like Natalie said, there's um, a picture often um, on their profile. Sometimes it's a baby picture. Something. Sometimes it's an adult photo um you'll see you know um height eye color you know all of that descriptive stuff in terms of family history or medical history mm-hmm. you know when um the donor is presenting at a distributor a distributor most distributors are in ontario and where they would present and they would be screened there and so in that regard they they ask for a family history and if they're you know they say you know there's heart disease or stroke or whatnot it really ends there Ethnicity is important um, because certain ethnic subgroups can carry greater risk of carrier diseases like Uh cystic fibrosis um, with a Celtic background would be a high rate of that or Ashkenazi Jewish um, groups carry um, certain specific metabolic diseases at a greater frequency than the general population. So that stuff is important because then the um, the person choosing to purchase that donor sperm, if they really like them, they can actually undergo carrier screening, what we call looking for um, genetics diseases that maybe lay silent. They don't carry the disease themselves. They carry a mutation. But if it was mixed, if they conceived with a donor that also had the same silent mutation, they could have a child that's affected. So um, that's important. That kind of information is important. When we um, meet with patients initially who are looking at doing um, inseminations using donor sperm, we do recommend strongly reproductive counseling, um, which really comes from Health Canada Again, safeguarding and ensuring for, you know, children that are conceived using any donor gametes, whether that be eggs or sperm, that, you know, parents are aware of what that means for that child. And so there's counseling ahead of time around, you know, there's a donor sibling registry where you can um, log on. You can actually put in the donor's information. You can log your child's information. And so other people could also log on and look at the same donor and see if they're half siblings, you know, in the vicinity or for your child. So your right. child conceived with that donor would know if they had half siblings. And so you want to stay away from something like that potentially, is that? No, 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 right. that's, that is actually to benefit offspring who've been conceived with donor sperm so that they could be aware if they have half siblings out there from and linked through the, the Does donor. Does that not cause some troubles in the, in the marriage and the family and the relationship though? Might that not open up a whole new kettle of worms? Well, can of worms. you know, it's really on parents as to whether or not they disclose um, to their children conceived in this way. But, you know, we encourage that in that, you know, it's the honesty is always the right way to go. And these counseling sessions often give some tools and tips on the age appropriateness of disclosure and how you would go about that with your child. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be, for example, um, you know, there are children conceived within same-sex couples um, where um, it would be obvious to other children in the class that perhaps there wasn't a, a, a female mm-hmm. or a male parent within right. there. And you would probably like to address that yourself as parents before a, another child within the class did, you know. And it's really about right. safeguarding your child and mm-hmm. having them um, 
be able to address all those issues. Right, but would all, you know, say this gorgeous guy, Natalie, that you chose, (laughs) (laughs) Um, say he's, you know, chosen by, you know, 10 women in a particular subdivision (laughs) out there. Which can happen. That can cause a problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so, you know, a lot of, we, we keep secrets. We don't, we don't necessarily tell. I mean, I know honesty is the best policy. Right. And, and again, these distributors um, who, you know, you would purchase a, a donor unit from, a, a unit being a straw of sperm, um, do put the onus back on, on the people purchasing sperm to make them aware as to whether or not there's been a family unit created from that sample. Mm-hmm. And they do limit the number of family units for they a do. given donor. They oh, do. Good. And that yeah. has been, you know, it's still a large number. It's like 300. Wow. Like yeah, that is, that, that is a lot. Interesting. The first test tube baby turns 40, Louise Brown. That's right. 40 a couple of days ago. Uh, Natalie, you're, you have a uh, upcoming nuptials coming. I'm curious, did the guy in the picture, <laughs> the, the, the sperm donor, did, does he look like your uh, future husband? He absolutely does. And we just get tickled pink because people in our neighborhood say to him or say to me, like, geez, your son looks so much like your fiance, a little bit like you, but mostly like your fiance. And we just think this is awesome. And of course, you know, I do have a type. So he actually does look a lot like Philip. (laughs) Well, you chose well twice. Thank you. Congratulations. Ultimately, it's what's inside. And I said, you know, I said to my family, I said, I hope he's just like Philip mostly on the inside, you know, it doesn't really matter um, what he looks like on the outside, but I chose well and I got lucky and found a really kind man. You sure did. A good man. So that's all that matters. You sure did. And you sound like such a lovely person. I really appreciate you sharing your story because I think when we share our stories, we empower other women and girls and families. And Dr. Neve Talon, co-director at Olive Fertility Center, what is the best way for people to get in touch with you and where can they find out more information if they're wondering about um, seeking parenthood by themselves perhaps or or not or or with a partner, with another person? So the process usually begins with seeing a family doctor, whether that be your own general practitioner or walk-in clinic, and you ask for a referral mm-hmm. for a fertility assessment. And from there, we would assess, we would put all the testing in place to ensure that they had appropriate counseling. With. And that's olivefertility.com? That's olivefertility.com. Olivefertility.com. So if you want to have a baby, all the single ladies, all the single ladies. Anyway, I meant to play that song earlier, but you got my voice. I'm sorry about that. I am Maureen McGrath. It is always a pleasure to have such great guests in the studio, and it's an honor to have you listening to my show, The Sunday Night Health Show. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.